0: You're listening to Toronto's number one real estate podcast, powered by Watson Estates. The most successful local real estate investing starts right here, right now. Here's your host, broker, investor, and social media influencer, Bradley Watson. Hey investors, Bradley here from Watson Estates, and you're listening to the largest and fastest growing podcast for Toronto real estate on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you're like me, been following the market as a broker investor, I like to kind of Keep tabs on what's going on and I'm getting fed up with the short days on market, multiple offer situations, blind bidding wars, and overall affordability crisis across Ontario. And so we're constantly looking for opportunities where our investors strategically finding their place and able to still generate an income from what we love the most on this channel, real estate. Today, we talked to James Fernandez from Fernandez Investments. His strategy seems obvious. It seems like something everybody should and would be doing, but believe it or not, it's a very underutilized play in the real estate industry that is finding properties that people would be repulsed by, grossed out by. I don't like the idea of having moldy addicts and you know tenants that refuse to leave and stick needles in my toilet. Well, this is exactly where James thrives and has been able to create massive income, massive growth and equity in these properties as they've been ignored even on the MLS. Today, we talk about his approach to these properties and how he looks at it differently. And how he's been able to build a business just on that strategy alone. If you're considering getting into the market and maybe you're feeling stuck in a place where there should be way, way more listings, guess what there are? There are listings and opportunities for you out there. You just need to put in a little bit of elbow grease and listen to a podcast like this. As you're getting value, please hit the like, subscribe and share on your Instagram. You can tag us at Watson Estates. Enjoy the show. James, thanks for joining us on the show. How you doing?
1: Good. I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me. It was a very nice surprise to to get this invite and I'm really looking forward to it. I see a few of my friends have already been on.
0: Yes. And obviously it's a small knit community within the investment world, but uh, I'm also anxious to talk to a fellow investor because we haven't had an investor on in a while. And I thought that your take on on, the conversation we're going to have today is very unique and exciting, even for myself, maybe selfishly. But I think people are going to enjoy some of the horror stories that to you, you must, you're a guy who likes horror, obviously.
1: Yeah, well, I guess so. Um, I, I found a niche that kind of no one really else uh, is comfortable exploring. And um, I was taught very, very early on, if you can solve hard problems, you can make more money. So I love that. That's, I love that's that. kind of how I chose it.
0: So, so beyond that, tell me how you got into investing in real estate. Um, We can get more into how you've gotten into the niche, maybe down the show, but I'm curious, how how do you, how did you get here? How do you spend most of your time uh, apart from doing podcast interviews?
1: (laughs) So um, I actually started investing in real estate because I wanted to buy a a Tesla um, and I uh, didn't really want to pay for the car by myself. So long story short, ended up, uh, like splitting my house in half with uh, two units and the other half of the house pay for most of my expenses and the car. And then I kind of just live here for free type of thing. That's how it it started. Um, After I refinanced that house and I realized the power of the the Burr method, which a lot of people use, I just basically copied that and um, realized first it was legal and it was tax-free to do that. And I thought it was insane that I wasn't planning on doing it again. And then I
0: just kept doing it again and again and again. Did you do them within your primary residence or did you just kind of scale out from investments? I'm curious how deep down the rabbit hole you went with using your house.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So the, my, my first property that I split into two units, um, the refinance on that ended up actually, they, the bank gave me a check for 150 grand after I refinanced it. And that was more money than I'd ever held in my entire life at that point. And it was just the most mind blowing, like mind expanding thing to see this whole other world out there. I was making a decent salary at the time or so, but uh th- having a check like that in your hands, is a totally other thing. And then I was like, I need to do this again. So I I bought uh used that um check to buy two other properties, the down payments for two other properties. And then I just did that on those two and then bought more and more and more. Multiplied repeat. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So now you're full time. <laughs> you've you've left time real estate industry, nine to Yeah. Five.
1: Yeah, it's uh, now a 24 seven, but that's fine. And um, the majority of my yesterday was, was pretty chill, but uh, every now and then, uh, as most entrepreneurs know, um, everything comes all together. Of course. So, um, of course. Today's luckily not one of those days, but uh, I'm sure it, it's fine. It's what I signed up for.
0: Very good. So, so tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. What kind of strategy are strategies are you using um, with some of your investors?
1: sure um so the majority of my uh stuff is burrs so buy uh renovate rent refinance and repeat i'm working on an apartment building right now it's 33 units i'm just in the process of the the refi right now uh stage number one for refi Mm -hmm. um it'll there will be another refi down the road but um basically for a building like this where it's so beat up um you can't get traditional financing on it so you have to kind of close it with private money kind of high interest money, yeah. um, just to get the deal done. And once it's under your belt and stabilized a little bit, then you can go out of that private money to maybe, uh, let's just say half as expensive money. Um, and then from there, once it's stabilized fully, you can go into very cheap money, CMHC money. So, but those are kind of the stages as you work through and, um, I'm in stage two. So yeah. that's, uh, the majority of, uh, what I think about right now. Um, but that, that's kind of where it is. I've done a few flips as well the flip market in London right now is insane, just like pretty much everywhere else. uh, If you bought cheap, you're going to make a ton of money just because of how much the market's gone up recently from
0: being available, being present,
1: just just literally being present. Um, It's it's insane. So I I know one of uh, one of the realtors had posted recently uh, market snapshot of January 9th. And now I know we're a little bit past that now as as a shooting date. But um, as January 9th, there were 71 properties in London for sale and London has 500,000 people and 2,000 realtors. Yeah. Something like that. And uh, if you narrow the price band down from 500 to 800,000, there's 16 properties for sale. It's ridiculous. Yeah.
0: yeah it's, so, and it's And what's, what's crazy in all of this too is we see prices going up and it would seem as though, and, and interest rates rising, it would seem as though it's getting more and more challenging, but for investors in a lot of ways, it's getting easier. Um, yeah now like there's incentives available for investors that are coming down in order to address affordability. So it's funny how it kind of feeds itself. It feeds the machine. Obviously a lot of people are feeling left out in there, but yeah. you can take investors from any direction in the commercial space, as long as there's capital there, there's a lot to be done, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. And and one of the main challenges that um, residential investors are facing right now is pushback from the cities to expand number of units on uh, like basically a densification of properties. Yeah. um it's surprisingly difficult to do so um for a, a lot of investors have publicly expressed their frustrations because uh, they want to add more units but very small like red tape things that i'm sure someone in general uh, had applied across the board but it doesn't actually make sense in practicality yeah um it's it's very difficult to, to actually densify properties even though it would help the affordability of rental market as an example, uh, a lot. Um, yeah, that, that's add something a lot of units to the properties.
0: That's definitely something we've been tracking. I mean, a couple <clears throat> when this episode will be released, a couple, a couple weeks ago, we were talking about uh, announcements that are going to come out as early potentially as the end of January that will happen at the provincial level. Municipalities yeah. are really good at red tape, so this needs to be <laughs> a little bit higher. so we're we're definitely keeping our finger on the pulse for affordability, but I, I hear that. I definitely hear that. yeah. So where would you say your niche is as we kind of dive into underutilized or underappreciated valued properties? Um, yeah. What, what does that look like for you and your business?
1: Yeah, um, so I'll give you uh, an, an actual example. Um, there was a property for sale on the MLS. It had tenants that were uh, very, very poor behaving people. Um, they were the menace of the neighborhood uh it did not sell on MLS and it was listed for $260,000 and for anyone that doesn't know the London market that's very cheap and it still didn't sell um mainly because of the the tenant quality they were just absolute destroyers of the the entire neighborhood um i ended up uh, basically 6 months later um uh, i found it on kijiji it was on kijiji for $215,000 or so and um at that price point it actually made sense to spend the time, money, energy, uh, whatever it took, to turn over this property. And when we went in for the offer, the guy kind of just signed the me He's like, "Just get this nightmare out of my life, cool." Um, so we gave him uh, the, the signed DPS, and we went through lawyers, got the deposit, everything on that end is done. Now the hard part, right? Um, the hard part is where do you put people once you turn over these properties? That's actually a really difficult thing. They're not just going to be homeless. That's like, you can't do that to people. So what do you have to do, you have to try and solve these problems. And for a lot of investors, um, the existing tenants paying very low rent, uh, are seen kind of as a nuisance and it's not really fair to think of people like that. Uh, so instead how I like to approach a lot of these problems, as some people would describe it, it's actually a solution for these people. They were living in a property that didn't have really a working bathroom. Um, they didn't, it didn't have a really working kitchen, had tests everywhere. Who wants to actually live like that? No one wants that. So, how can I solve their problem? They want a clean, quiet place to live and possibly a place with a little bit more rules or structure um, that can help control the access to drugs that a lot of them were so easily accessible. Um, so we found uh, homes basically where they have very strict rules um, for curfew and whatever, uh, visitors, that type of thing, um, and a lot of the tenants were so happy to be removed out of that environment and put in a place, or not put, but like have a have a safe space for them to stay like a, kind of alone um, so that they had a little bit more control of their life rather than just being offered um, a substance that could uh, like solve their problem in the, in the short term, but really be crippling in the long term. So that was one one way. Um, the property was then vacant, and then it became um, basically stage three, which is the full demolition um, and pest control and solving all those kind of simple problems in comparison to uh, dealing with someone's human's life. So
0: yeah, yeah that's I kind like of that niche I focus on. So so when we think and and even. <clears throat> myself included, when you come into this, you're often thinking about the property, but there are people involved. And sometimes the problem is the people. And I love yeah. that you are taking, you have a bit of a heart here. You're taking the role of giving these people dignity. Um, it's easy to look back and say, this is what we did, but I also can respect and appreciate that that would have been a, a, a draw and a drain on you as well. That can be a very yeah. challenging thing. Um, and coming up with solutions in a market where even investors that are well off are concerned and upset. How do we take care of people? And um, we've had a lot of investors on the show and we don't get into too much of it because the way that they deal with their properties is unique, but I would assume that many of them have what some would say questionable thoughts or approaches to how they're dealing with tenants. And and we look at them as, look at this guy he's so good at removing tenants but there is still a heart element that needs to be built in. So it's evident here that you have a, a heart approach to, to dealing with these tenants and you're willing to um, to take them on in that way. So-, so don't
1: get, don't get me wrong. There's definitely times where you're so frustrated and you're like, Oh, it would be so much easier to just do, you know, whatever thing. And there's definitely those thoughts that come in your head, but um that's, that's out of frustration and, and anger and whatever else, and not really humanity. Uh, so there, there are definitely other ways to solve problems. And I'd say 99% of the time, it just comes from listening to what they actually need, solving their problem. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah, even, even having conversations with properties we've approached, um, there's a, a ha- they, they're, they're introduced to us as hassle tenants, but you realize yeah. they're not, they're people. Yeah. And when you yeah. have a, a face-to-face <laughs> conversation and you're real with them, they, they understand you, you understand them. And, um, there are laws in place to protect them as well. And informing them yeah. of that, those laws, not hiding behind this curtain and pretending or, yeah. Um, so, okay. So maybe we'll take one more story here. And then I, I want to talk about the practical side of how people can apply some of these ideas. Do you have another Great. one for us on, uh, on a property you approached that you were able to, to solve a problem?
1: Absolutely. So, um, I'll just t- talk about this property again, but just in more specifics. So there's five boarding room tenants there, kind of sharing the space, and uh, in the backyard, in the garage, there were um, people squatting. So about ten, ten or so people total uh, living on the property. Um, five or so of them, maybe maybe six, living there illegally. Um, so for the actual tenants, um, we talked to them about what they actually needed in order to move on from this property. And for some guy, he's like, I just need help moving out of here. Like I'm stuck here because I don't have a vehicle, I can't move, cool, we can help you with that. Do you already have a place you wanna go? Yeah, I wanna live over here, cool, no problem, done. Um, For a couple other people, uh, they didn't actually wanna live there anymore, but didn't know where to go. So we provided them a low income housing list um, of available properties and they did all the work from there. They applied, they did the interviews, they showed up and did the walkthroughs they found a new place to live um for the last guy um he was uh, severely depressed um he had uh kind of bipolar episodes uh so on one portion very nice to you and others very aggressive and kind of threatening um so it was basically trying to figure out when was a good time to talk to him and come up with a solution that was really effective for him so um this was uh the guy that Um, He ended up finding, or we we ended up finding him a place that had a lot of structure. uh, And basically they, they have a curfew. They have a strict no visitors policy, no smoking, no drugs, no anything like that on the property. They have uh, like a, not a nurse, but someone that can help like take care of them uh, during the day and um, help with their needs. And um, yeah, it was, it was what he ended up like kind of wanting to go to just so that he could be removed from. Uh, this property, which was known for people to come to and like kind of just hang out and do drugs and whatever, whatever and substance abuse is very easy when you're around that and he wanted to be removed from that and kind of change uh, his own life so giving him an out, I guess, uh, was the way that we solved his problem. Um, for the squatters in the back um, that was a more difficult problem because we had no kind of legal way uh, to, to say you need to leave and the police don't really help. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware of that. They don't really help when it comes to this stuff. So, um, what we ended up doing is we set up cameras on the property, uh, so that we could see when they were gone. Um, and the garage, uh, that was, there was already kind of falling over and we were really, really worried that it would fall on these people while they were staying in there. Um, we set up the cameras, we saw that they had all left and then, uh, myself and a bunch of guys just basically went and pushed the garage and it just fell over. Oh, wow. And uh, then when they came back, um, they couldn't go inside because it was just toppled on the ground. Wow. <laughs> um, and that's, that's basically how we solved that problem. They just left and didn't come back. Wow. Um, but that was, uh, that was another, like, what do you do? <laughs> I don't know.
0: So I, yeah. I want to get as well, we'll get into some stories about the properties uh, along the show here, but yeah. For folks that are looking at this and they're worried about these types of properties, what advice would you give? <clears throat> Obviously this isn't for everybody, but yeah, how, what is your perspective on this? And um, I, I guess share that thought process that you have sure. that people can adopt.
1: Sure. Yeah. So it's um, basically how I started focusing on this niche is when um, when I was first getting started, there were so many properties being kind of thrown around. Um, but as soon as I went to go see, it, it was gone. Let's go see it gone. Let's go see it gone. And people were still paying over and, over and over. And I was like, I can't even afford that. Like how, how are people buying? And then, um, I, I realized like there were a few properties kind of just sitting there, no one had touched them. No one had even like offered on them, no one had whatever. And I was like, well, let me like look a little bit closer. And then when I, when I ran the numbers, when I ran my timeline on carrying costs and, and then the potential profit on the end. It was insane. So I was like, you know what? I'll just try it. And my worst case scenario here is I don't actually make as much money as I think I'm going to. And obviously, as a novice investor taking on a project like this, it was kind of crazy. Um, the first property that I ever bought that was like this, um, it had the big spray painted whatever you want to, you know, everything you can think of was in there on the walls. Um, and there were break-ins, they stripped the copper, they like there's flood, there's Everything you can think of happened to that property. Um mold, I had to end up like tearing out a lot of drywall and whatever else. Um everything went wrong. But because I bought it so cheap in a market, so like people always talk about the the crash of the market. What are you going to do when the market crashes? If I'm buying at two hundred and fifteen thousand dollars and the average price in London is six hundred and fifteen thousand or more, the market's going to crash to what three hundred thousand, and I only make seventy five thousand or something like that. Like, it's i don't think about the market crash like that because i'm buying so cheap and that's that's the critical advice you really make your money on the buy so when you can find these properties and get them at the right price and you run your numbers so that the renovation costs and carrying costs and whatever um still are less than what you're expecting the value to be that's so valuable in general so you're you start calculating return on time return on your investment and it's more than you can make anywhere else when you buy these cheap, cheap, really distressed properties. So looking for properties like that is what I started to focus on then, because that, that property that I described to you bought it at 215. Well, it refinanced at 600. So I didn't spend $400,000. I can tell you that it's been a hundred. So it's
0: interesting. It's interesting the thought process, right? Cause let's say we'll take London and I'm not as familiar in the London market as you are, but we know based on what you're describing, it sounds very similar across the GTA. People are paying a premium, in other words, they're paying an additional cost to compete. And yeah. what I like about your approach is you you save that cost. There's no yeah. cost to compete. The cost is being re into adding value to the property, dealing with tenants, dealing with the property itself, mold, whatever. And I like that line of thinking. What I found on my real estate side is generally speaking, you have this the higher end home, call it the 25% of homes now, it's actually probably bigger that go over asking and they they move really quickly and they're in high demand. Yeah. But I also find there's this low end market that happens in the kind of the wholesale world where there is still a lot of competition. <laughs> yeah. Where I've found that there's a bit of a void that you're describing the homes that sit for well is the ones that are in the middle, right? They're not necessarily yeah. the worst house that have the, the massive upside, but ones that people can't see the value in, even people mm-hmm. who would do the renovations. People and I, I this is just from my my experience. It's not I actually find in some ways the low end of the market can be more competitive than the final oh, product. So, but finding that sweet spot, a home that's been on the market for a hundred days and then gets relisted on Kijiji. There, there's something there. There is. Yeah. yeah. I actually really
1: like how you put that. Um, I'm not paying the competition fee. I actually really, I've never heard that before. And I really like how you put that um, there. Uh, there's definitely that like you definitely see on um, MLS, the homes that are listed and then sell for two hundred thousand over asking or some crazy thing. Yeah. But on the on the flip side, you also see on the wholesalers now on the distressed properties that are vacant as an example. Um, people are competing on those now too, and um, that's kind of that's kind of crazy. I've not not seen that before. Um, wholesalers are holding offers now. Yeah. You know, yeah. like. Um, that's a whole other crazy thing. Well, and, wholesalers and... are
0: promoting properties that are already sold, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for the yeah. sake of promoting their wholesale business. But then they, they exactly. send it. That's what's happening.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then on in the middle, uh, like you said, like I, I've had so many people ask, "Well, why would I just not list it on the market?" Well, you're not the person that that niche is focused on. The the niche is focused on the people who can't sell it no matter what. No one wants to buy their shithole property. Mm-hmm. except for me or someone like me that, that can see past that, that trouble or guide it through that. Um, and that's the off, off-market, uh, property that. I, I try to focus on. So typically like I was the last to the deal on a lot of these, um, no one else wanted it. And it was just kind of sitting there. I was like, Oh, this is all I have left. So let's see what I can do with it. That type of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: So do you, and, do you source most of your deals from MLS or at least locate them on MLS and track the, the like, cause at least you've got a picture of what's been going on with the properties. It actually right. outlines everything for you when you look at them versus yeah. if it's off market, it's hard to tell unless you have access to the geo warehouse or the, the, the listing history, really.
1: Right. So when I first started, I was combing every like MLS and TGG and Facebook marketplace. I was combing all of these things. Um, to try and pull deals my way. Um, now that I have a little bit more experience and my network's a little bit bigger, um, and people know this is my like thing that I do, um, I people just send me deals. So I don't really spend any time now looking for deals at all. Um, I just get an email from someone saying, "Hey, look at this garbage. Yeah. Do you want it? <laughs> yeah, sure. Of course. Let's, let's do, <laughs> How yeah. much? <laughs> yeah."
0: So, yeah. So so that, it all that, happens. That it time. sounds like for you, it happens at the buy point. The the buy is the is critical part. Is this something that you've built? I guess it's obvious you've built confidence, but is this something that you were confident at day one? Is it something that somebody who's never done this could confidently walk into? Or is this really just <clears> a kind of a gray area? It's a touch and go and you know, like yeah. investors love when things are tangible and that you can pre-calculate and understand what you're getting yourself into. Is it that, or is this a scenario where you don't know what's in the attic? So do we budget that you're doing a full attic every time? Like, how do you look at, or are you, are you calculating risks? Are you like going back to stats days and trying to figure out what is my risk and reward scenario and taking a chance?
1: Yeah. um, It's actually really funny that you say that because I know a lot of people who, because they calculate so many things, miss out on deals constantly. It's yeah. uh, the analysis paralysis, if you've ever heard it put like that before, I really like how that's put. Um, when you overthink things and you have too much knowledge, you don't take enough action. And um, that first property, um, I ended up spending $120,000, let us just say, on the renovations and carrying costs and stuff like that. But um, I made, I don't know, dollars And really, I, at that point, I had no business doing a property like that. I had no experience doing a property. In general that was my first rental property that i was renovating like that. Like i had no contractors no connections no anything i didn't know what i was doing at all but um i just knew that because i know people that have done it they can help me figure it out or i can google something or watch this video or whatever you know figure it out from there yeah. and i think that's kind of the critical thing for for people to take away from this is you just need to know enough and then the rest will come um once you're kind of in that field and once you're in that space of i'm doing this your brain changes completely um it's not like what if what if what if it's like no if this happens this if this happens this if this happens this it's not what if anymore it's you just know forget about what if because i don't have time to even think about that when it happens whatever it is i'll solve that problem as it comes up as it comes up and you're kind of being reactive because you don't have the experience to be proactive and that's okay. With experience, you can you can build that. But basically, roughly in my head, I budget hundred dollars a square foot for these garbage properties, um, and that's assuming everything goes wrong. Assuming so I you have to take everything out, put everything back in, yeah. and um, one hundred fifty thousand dollars on a fifteen hundred square foot home, roughly. Um, it's a very generous budget. So let's just say you do it in half of that or a quarter of that. Great, fantastic. But if your numbers work as a novice investor at hundred bucks a square foot in rental you know, <laughs> you're going to make money.
0: There you go. I like the practicality on the, the thinking there. And I, in my experience, my, uh, my father's in the contracting space. So I've grown up realizing that problems that you see are usually less expensive than what you think costs have yeah. gone up a lot, but we do have <clears> this, <throat> at least me, I have a, I always jump to the worst case scenario as a conservative conservative, conservative investor, but <clears throat> almost in every case, it comes below uh, yeah. on what I actually thought would be the case. Like we're, we're looking at, you know, you want to redo everything. So you're going to say hundred bucks a square foot, but then it will really come a fraction of that. Yeah. And then that's all profit. But if you were to say, well, I need to be very careful. I need to do 150, especially if there's any level of competition, either you're going to scare away the seller or you're not going to, you're not going to win in a, in a multiple offer yeah. or in a conversation. So.
1: Exactly. And like now that I have systems in place, have my teams, I have wholesale supplies that I can buy for very cheap like pennies on the dollar from what I was buying that first time. Um, I remember like putting in kitchens in that property, and I was in my head turning that into like a luxury Airbnb that, that I'd um, have nice and close to a lot of amenities. And um, I ended up spending about $30,000 on kitchens. Um, right now in my apartment building, I'm putting in almost the same kitchen for $3,000 a piece. Wow. And yeah. like that, well, that's that's that's, uh,
0: that's surprisingly good, but that's an order point. of magnitude
1: less, <laughs> right? So, but but that comes with experience. you built the supply chain, and, yeah.
0: yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. And it doesn't matter though. Like, let's just say I, I spent that hundred and twenty thousand dollars that first time, and it got broken into, and and the basement got destroyed, and all this other stuff, and I it ended up being still so 30000 dollars less than a hundred dollars a square foot. So, um, after. Literally everything went wrong. I didn't know what I was doing. I spent probably the most money you can possibly spend on stupid things. Um, and and it still was okay. So just on the buy budget, your numbers, if it works, do it. Don't think about it anymore. Like stop thinking at that point. What would
0: be the first resource for someone that comes across a property like this and they're thinking, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm interested in learning more or getting more information on this property, doing some of the numbers. If you were to go way back what would be your advice to someone that's like what's step number one because you don't have any sure. experience you don't have contacts what does that process look like
1: so i would say even even before that before you're even looking at properties start to get an idea of what a renovation could possibly look like a really good resource for that is Renovision vision on youtube uh this contractor out in ottawa jeff thurman he posts a lot of how how to do stuff and using those videos is basically how i learned Oh, well, this is what it takes to build a wall. You have your strapping, then you have your uh, insulation, then you have your vapor barrier, then you have your two by fours, then you have your plumbing, your electrical, your drywall, your whatever, like the steps as you build out. And basically, I just remember like writing down a list of stuff and then going to the Home Depot website and applying prices to those things, yeah. so that I'd have like a rough idea of what that would cost. And then I just like multiplied that by a thousand, basically for 1,000 square feet or 1,500 square feet. And I was like, okay, well, it's gonna cost like 50 grand to do a basement from scratch um, if it's like bare um, with labor and everything included. And so like using those rough numbers in my head, then I could say with some confidence, okay, I know like pretty decently that at the Home Depot prices and at, like, let's just say $35 an hour for two people, 70 bucks an hour or whatever you wanna calculate your labor at, um, it's going to be about 50 grand to do this yeah
0: um
1: and then going to the properties and saying okay now i I look at these pictures um i don't know if there's a water issue here i don't know if there's a foundation issue here i'm just going to assume there is (laughs) um one interesting problem that i had uh in a property was we had to replace all of the plumbing because so many needles were flushed down the toilets that the entire stack the four inch drain pipe like this was plugged with needles Nothing could go through, and that's not a problem. I never thought I'd encounter. Wow. Um, but I had budgeted for that. I was just like, oh, new plumbing, five K for the whole house. It's fine. Um, but we we cut the cut the tube and just like needles poured out of either end. It's insane.
0: So apart, so what I'm hearing from from you here is apart from the the normal parts of what you'd have in the purchase of real <laughs> estate and buying, selling, flipping, renovating, refinancing, all of it. The Mm -hmm. difference here in the equation is having an understanding of building costs, or at least a gist of what those costs will be. And then built within your calculation kind of factoring in maybe not the worst case scenario, but a worse than expected scenario that will cover you for those renovations. And then now you're walking in to negotiate with a seller who isn't negotiating with anybody else.
1: Exactly. You're the only one coming to the table and you're solving a problem that they have been struggling to solve for, let's just say, half a year. Yeah. Um, it, it gives you a lot of negotiating power uh, in that sense. And for, for that guy, for example, um, for the $215,000, um, I went fairly quickly and I signed it that night. I didn't actually negotiate with him at all but I, um, on, on price. But what I did negotiate with him on was my terms. So I got access to the property the next day for the vacant unit upstairs so that I could start work right away. Um, That was really, really helpful. Um, I got access to the property to start cleaning up some of the junk and everything that was laying about. Um, I got access to the tenants to start talking to them and having that conversation, say, hey, change is coming. Do you have a plan Uh, right away? And this is like 60 days, 90 days before close. So I have three months without canning the carrying costs to do stuff on the property, which is really, really helpful. So um, when you don't get your price, uh, get your terms, you know, um, yeah. Another thing
0: you can't negotiate in a multiple <clears throat> offer situation. Correct. Yeah. James, this has been a good chat and hopefully a good intro to investors that are kind of looking for maybe a niche and are just sick and tired of multiple offers. And, you know, they, they dream of being able to eventually invest where can folks find you? I know we didn't share any of the pictures you were showing me before of yeah. toilets <laughs> and stuff, but I'm sure people are going to want to see the disaster scenes that you have. Where can people find some of the projects? I also know that the images of what you've completed are fantastic. So there's a lot of really good content in there. Where are people best to locate you?
1: Yeah. Instagram is um, probably the best way uh, to interact with me. It's at James e And um, yeah, it, I was talking kind of briefly about uh, this to you before, but my most uh, highly engaged posts are Kind of the most disgusting ones that people um, are disgusted, but they can't look away, they have to look and it's it's kind of funny in that sense, um, solving the the pest problems, solving the the hoarding problems, solving the really bad hygiene uh, type of problems. Um, yeah, it, it can definitely get rough sometimes <laughs> uh, on what's out there, and uh, it's certainly surprising to see um, how some people can live, but uh, you just have to remember that like while I'm presenting it in a form of uh, entertainment, it is a real problem that someone's having and uh, solving their problem is not always uh, as funny. So giving them a solution that's actually effective for them um, in some cases, uh, like a a solution to deal with mental health issue or a solution to deal with um, maybe people that are coming there that shouldn't be coming there. um, Those are a little bit trickier, but I try to present those difficult problems in kind of an entertaining way so that people can understand um, nearly one, like nearly anything can be funny. And two, uh, as you get better at solving these problems, it doesn't become the, the stress or hassle or, or, thing to bog you down. Um, you're helping people uh, at the end of the day. So yeah.
0: this is definitely not for everybody, but, uh, the way you we're the first guest we've had on our show, that's come at it with this niche. So as obvious as it might seem as a way to make money in real estate, it's not a very used play. And mm-hmm. so it's really cool that you were able to come on and shed some light on what that could look like for our investors. Guys, if you have any cool stories, I mean, engage with our posts, you can tag us as well at Watson Estates, if you want to share it on, on Instagram, but uh, James, this has been a really good conversation and I appreciate you taking the time. We're going to continue to watch as you grow your portfolio and <laughs> some of those horror stories that are, that are yet to play out.
1: You bet. Um, yeah. No one likes boring, easy stuff, but uh, it seems so. I'll keep all saying.
0: <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you. And have a good one.